BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you, broadcasting live today from Portland, Oregon. And uh, the the hits keep coming on, coming in uh, with regard to President uh, to Donald Trump, excuse me, uh, Donald Trump's speech to uh, the pretender in chief, the vote loser in chief, right? The, the popular vote loser. Uh, the, the, you know, keep coming in the um, analysis of that. Obamacare is going on. There's a there's a, this terrible uh, a hurricane cranking its way across the Caribbean toward. Um, uh, well, it's over. It's over uh, Puerto Rico right now, and so you know the TV networks, to the extent that they can do it, are going to probably go in full out disaster porn mode. You know, weather disaster porn mode nonstop. Uh, will they be talking about why there's 6% more moisture in the air, which makes these rainfalls massively huger? Will they be talking about why there's, there's, uh, uh, wow, Wait, this, this thing is just in my mind. <laughs> anyway, will they be talking about why the, uh, the oceans are so much warmer, which is the fuel for a hurricane? At least the, the weather forecasters, you know, they can kind of say, you know, well, uh, the warm oceans are fuel for hurricanes without saying, and the oceans are warmer because of global warming. In fact, 90% of the heat that has been trapped in the earth as a result of the increased greenhouse gas levels in the atmosphere, 90% of that heat has gone into our oceans. And the heat from an ocean rises into the air and causes, you know, as air rises, the cool air around it settles, and pretty soon you get this, you know, convection pattern going, and you get a little low pressure system in the middle of it, and it, it you know, it, it just, it turns into a, a hurricane. So you've got that. I mean, there's just, there is a, a, a lot going on. Um, I wanted to talk about the Equifax thing, too. Um, uh, Charles Sauer is going to be with us in the third hour of our program, but other than that, it's just going to be you and me. Um, if there is anything that you think that uh, is of particular consequence or that we're missing, um, feel free to give us a shout. But the, to, to start with the U.N., just to kind of close this up, because, uh, you know, we did talk somewhat about Donald Trump's speech to the U.N. yesterday, but it was uh, most of our conversation was largely focused on his, uh, you know, threatening to 
annihilate or devastate or whatever the word was, North Korea, you know, to wipe them off the map. Um, you know, and I know, and the rest of the world knows, and North Korea knows that if he did that, it would not be limited to North Korea. If he did that with the kind of instantaneous high-powered weapons like nuclear weapons, that would create a nuclear disaster for South Korea and for China. And if he did it with conventional weapons, the time involved to get them there would probably not, well, certainly would not be enough to prevent Kim Jong-un from launching his uh, missiles that are, uh, and missiles and, and uh, mortars and cannons and, you know, all those kinds of things that are in the mountain mountainsides uh, overlooking the city of Seoul. You know, 10 million people sitting there, you know, 20 million in the whole larger region just sitting there uh, like sitting ducks just 20 miles away from these things, which is an easy lob. And there's no way to stop them. This isn't like the kind of missile technology that you can stop. So, so you know, you know, when John Kennedy addressed the United Nations, when when uh, Jimmy Carter addressed the United Nations, when when Barack Obama addressed the United Nations, the way the position that an American president takes tells you a lot about a what that president thinks America is all about, and b what America is all about, right? Because we elected that president and because the president is saying what he's saying, particularly in a speech at the UN, this was one that Trump read off a teleprompter. So uh, this was something that, you know, uh, clearly was vetted by his generals. Uh, by the way, have we experienced a milica military coup? We now have generals running our country. It's, you know, is this, uh, has this just kind of slid by everybody? But, but I digress. So, uh, here you have, you know, typically when these past presidents have addressed the United Nations, they were operating out of a place, out of a sense of America is that shining city on the hill. America is the hope of the world. America is here for the other countries of the world. We're, we're part of a, of a global family. We are our brother's keepers. And, and what Trump essentially said is, nah, <laughs> you know, that, that's, not, that's not what we're all about. We're about us. And you should be about you. So Trump was basically, you know, promoting the ideology, the thought process, the, the philosophy that, that, you know, the libertarians have, which is, you know, I got mine, screw everybody else, or, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the intellectual var variation on that that Milton Friedman and whatnot, you know, put forward is uh, if everybody acts in their own most selfish mode, that somehow magically that will organize the economy in a way that works for everybody. And, you know, if everybody was entirely altruistic, if everybody had as their principal value you know, personal value, if they had as their principal value, fairness, then, and, and, and an understanding of fairness, which by the way, even children, I mean, even pre-language, you know, one, you know, two and two-year-old kids, you know, not particularly articulate, um, you put them in a room and, and if one kid has a disproportionate number of toys, the rest of them react like, what? What's going on here? I mean, you know, we've been doing these studies since the fifties, right? 
And, and we know, you know, fairness is just like wired into us, except not all of us. There are a few people who just don't have that fairness thing because in order to understand fairness, that requires you to understand empathy or to have empathy, the ability to identify with another person and feel in yourself what you imagine they are feeling, what you believe they are feeling based on what you know and what you see and what you hear from them. And the people who can't do that are called sociopaths. They, they lack the ability to do that. And, and that's the basis of the whole libertarian philosophy of I've got mine. And that's the sales pitch that Donald Trump made to the world yesterday. Completely different from any other president in the past. And this is what Diane Feinstein had to say about it. And I thought this was absolutely brilliant. She said, the goals, this is the, you know, the senator from California. Uh, this was just released. She said, the goals of the United Nations are to foster peace and promote global cooperation. Today, this was yesterday, of course, our president, the president used it as a stage to threaten war. He missed an opportunity to present any positive actions the UN could take with respect to North Korea. And he launched a diatribe against Iran, offering, again, no pathway forward. By suggesting we should, we, he would revisit and possibly cancel the Iran nuclear agreement, he greatly escalated the danger that we face both from Iran and North Korea. I mean, what nation would negotiate with the United States when the agreements we reach with other countries are so easily undermined, said Senator Feinstein. She added, Trump's been bombastic threat to destroy North Korea and his refusal to prevent any positive pathways forward on the many global challenges we face are severe disappointments. He aims to unify the world through tactics of intimidation but in reality, he only further isolates, and here is the real tragedy, further isolates the United States. And that, and that really is the tragedy, is that you know, Donald Trump, in pitching the Ayn Rand worldview, the America first, I got mine, and I'm, you know, I, I, you know, depending on the day of the week, proudly call myself a nationalist, as it were, in that I, you know, I want what's best for my country. But I also understand that we're part of a world community and we gotta work this stuff out. Welcome back, Tom Hartman here with you. And um, let's see, there were a couple of other things I wanted to get into. Here we go, this, this uh, uh, the Obamacare repeal. I, uh, this morning I tuned into uh, MSNBC for a little bit uh, as, as I was uh, being out here on the West Coast, of course, it, 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 was, um, it was about four o'clock in the morning when I woke up, a little after four o'clock in the morning. And uh, uh, local time, which is 7 a.m. East Coast time, which is when I normally wake up, and uh, more or less. And um, so, you know, I thought, okay, I don't think I'm going to get back to sleep. So I flipped on uh, uh, Morning Joe on, on, uh, on uh, Sirius XM on my phone and uh, listened for a little while. And they had Bill Cassidy on there, you know, the, the senator from Louisiana, who is the co-author of the Cassidy-Graham bill, although he kept adding in Ron Johnson's name and Dean Heller's name, kept calling it Cassidy, Graham, Cassidy, Heller, Johnson. Uh, I'm not sure if he's trying to spread the blame around or the praise around, but I strongly suspect it's the former, not the latter. Um, but this is, you know, Jimmy Kimmel last night on TV, and I didn't see this, but I've read all this. It's all over the Internet. Basically, you know, he had had, he had, had uh, 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 Bill Cassidy on his show way back, you know, six months ago or so. 
And Jimmy Kimmel, of course, his son was born with a congenital heart defect, and it cost, you know, or would have cost him and his family hundreds of thousands, maybe more, uh, to have his son's life saved. And now his son's going to grow up fine and have a great life because they, they closed the hole in his heart or whatever the defect was. But, um, you know, Kimmel was like, at the time that that happened, and, and I'm guessing probably you remember this, um, or if you, if you don't, it's just this quick recap. Kimmel went on TV, and, and in fact, he kind of broke up talking about it. And, and, he, and he said, you know, he's not normally all that political, but in terms of, of the future and, the, and politics and healthcare policy and all that kind of thing, uh, he thinks that, you know, anything that we should do, that, that every child in America who's born with a heart defect should have the same, the same uh, great treatment and care that, that, he, that his son had as a result of his having, you know, top-of-the-line health insurance as a multimillionaire television star. And he had Bill Cassidy on his show. And it was Bill Cassidy who said, hey, let's call that the Kimmel rule. I'm down with that. I'm, I'm all in favor of that. So now Bill Cassidy, this Republican from Louisiana, so now Bill Cassidy comes out with this piece of legislation that, that is, is outrageous, you know, that, 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 and, and, he's, and he's got... He's got Graham and he's got, uh, you know, Ron Johnson from Wisconsin on this thing. And, and I mean, he's just he's, he's trying to expand it. He's trying to trying to pretend it's more than and Dean Heller from Nevada, trying to pretend that it's more than it is. But and and it was weird because, you know, Joe and Mika were pretty much I mean, they weren't going to call him out because they can't. You know, TV shows that require big name guests, which there's which pretty much all the TV shows do. That's pretty much the model now know that they can't actually call their guests liars. They can't actually confront their guests. They can't point out that they can't, if they make a guest look like too much of a fool, that guest will never come back, which means that that show is going to be out of business. Uh, it's not how television should be run. It's not how I run this program. You know, when, when uh, uh, I can think of a number of different examples from, from John Bolton to, uh, to, uh, well, I, to several others who, you know, I just you know, called them out to the point that they just refused to come on the program anymore, including some politicians, Steve King among them. Um, but, but uh, you know, they can't do that. They don't do that on, on any of the television networks. And so here's Cassidy talking about, well, everybody's going to have access. And I kept waiting for, for, for Joe Rubica to say, well, you know, yeah, I've, you know, the homeless guy downstairs has access to a Bentley. I mean, he can walk down to the Bentley dealership and Walk in if if he doesn't smell too bad. Walk in and 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 uh, or look too bad, and uh, or maybe even if he does, you know, if uh, you know, he can he can walk in and 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 sit in a Bentley. Uh, he has access to it. It doesn't mean he can own it. It doesn't mean he can use it. I mean, you, yeah, having access to healthcare is a whole different thing than being able to afford it. The guy can't afford the Bentley, and I kept waiting, and it simply never came. So there's this new study out from Avalair Health that just lays this thing out, you know, what this bill is going to do and what it's going to do. And by the way, if any of these uh, members of the Senate, Lisa Murkowski, Susan Collins, Rob Portman, or John McCain, represent you, you may want to call their Senate offices right now and let them know, because these are the, these are the possible swing votes on this thing that could kill it. But Arizona would lose $11 billion dollars. Alaska would lose a billion dollars, which uh, doesn't sound as much as 11 billion, but the population of Alaska is a lot smaller than, than uh, Arizona. Ohio would receive nine billion dollars less. And 
John Kasich, the governor of Ohio, who's a, a screaming right winger, um, but tries to pretend he's a moderate on television, he's actually come out against this. Maine would get a billion dollars less, so you might want to remind Susan Collins of that. And Shelley Moore Capito of West Virginia, she said, well, I don't know, you know, I'm trying to figure it out. Well, West Virginia gets a billion dollars less. And again, West Virginia, not a hugely populous state. That's a heck of a lot of money for West Virginia. So this is, this is a, a good time and I think a good opportunity to be contacting those people and saying, hey, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, this, this, is, this is not a good idea. This whole, this whole, uh, this whole piece of legislation of, of doing away with Obamacare. Stop. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. So a lot on the table so far and a heck of a lot more to come as we go through the hours of the program. We'll pick up your calls right after. Hey, Tom Hartman here with the Tom Hartman Program. You know I'm serious about my health and so I'm doing something for it. You've heard me talking about Superbeets. I'm drinking Superbeets, a circulation superfood powder that helps support my heart and healthy blood pressure too. I have amazing energy, amazing stamina as well. The New York Times calls beets fitness in a glass. With Superbeets, I get all the benefits without the bad taste or added sugar. Mix it in water or a smoothie for a jitter-free energy boost. You'll love the taste of Superbeets and feel results in as little as 20 minutes guaranteed to your money back. Try the original berry or black cherry fit flavor. That's my favorite. If you haven't tried it now, yeah, now is the time. Only for the summer, you can get Super Beats, and we're still sort of the tail end, I guess. You can get Super Beats for only $5.95. Here's how. Call now and get a free box of Super Beats with 10 packets to try and feel the results, plus two free indicator strips for monitoring your nitric oxide levels before and after taking Super Beats. It's just $5.95. You'll love the results. Guaranteed. More energy, more stamina, support healthy circulation. What are you waiting for? Call 800-568-9889. That's 800-568-9889. Or go to tomsbeats.com. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you live from Portland, Oregon. I'm so excited. Uh, my, my youngest is getting married uh, uh, this Saturday to her uh, longtime girlfriend. They've been living together for years, bought a house together, have a dog. They're going to be adopting. I mean, just all kinds. of. It's wonderful. I am, I, and Louise and I are here, and friends of ours are here from Vermont and from all over, all over the place. It's just, it's just great. So, um, uh, my apologies since we're doing a remote broadcast. If our audio or video quality isn't exactly what it should be, but we're uh, trying out a brand new Comrex system, and and actually, I think we're doing a pretty good job here. But I wanted to talk a, a, just a little bit more about North Korea, and then uh, pick up your phone calls here. The name of the CNN documentary that I watched from the hotel room in, in Frankfurt uh, Saturday night was um, uh, on CNN International. It was titled Secret State Inside North Korea. And uh, in fact, I think it was Pat Sweeney put a link to the uh, YouTube of it over on our chat room. You can find our chat room. It's free. It's, uh, and there's not even ads or anything. Um, it's over at TomHartman.com. And uh, I strongly recommend watching it. I, I, I didn't watch the whole thing. I fell asleep right toward the end of it because uh, it was on like a, I don't know, I got into, into Frankfurt in the airport around 1 o'clock in the morning and, and probably fell asleep around 1.40. But it was, um, it surprised me a lot. I mean, I learned a lot about North Korea. And one of the things that I think that Americans don't understand or don't think about 
is if you're old enough to remember the Vietnam era, or for that matter, any part, you know, from the McCarthy era forward, from the 1950s all the way to the fall of the Soviet Union, if you're old enough to remember that, um, you know what I'm talking about just, just from experience. And if you're not old enough to remember that, um, you probably have heard about this. And if you take any history classes, you'll certainly learn about it. And that is that the reason that, that first of all, that communism essentially was not uh, a nihilistic uh, political philosophy uh, or economic philosophy. In other words, it wasn't, it wasn't a death cult, essentially. The whole point of communism was for everybody to have housing, for everybody to have medical care, for everybody to have food, for everybody to have a job, for everybody to have, you know, the opportunity to live life in a positive and favorable way. That was the theory, right? It's not actually how it worked out, although I've known uh, many people over my lifetime, and particularly during the year that I lived in Germany, who have lived under both, you know, the communist East Germany and the, or, and the, and the Western West Germany, and, um, you know, who would say, East Germans, who would say, you know, it wasn't all that bad. Uh, you know, yeah, we had to wait in line for food sometimes, but, you know, nobody freaked out if they got sick. Nobody freaked out if, uh, you know, he uh, never had to worry about finding an apartment or whatever. But the point is that because communism excluded the possibility of big corporations, right, the, the state ran all the businesses, you had this huge corporate, I mean, <laughs> The entire corporate machine in the United States, the entire capitalist machine in the United States, from the banks to the to the manufacturers to the politicians that they own, were all saying, "Oh, we can't have communism." And see, uh, of course, communism was an evangelical philosophy, right? Karl Marx wrote this thing, and he said, "If only everybody would do it, right?" Evangelism, uh, evangelistic things always started out, "If only everybody would, right?" So, if only everybody would adopt this this way of living, then then life would be a paradise. And as I said, it didn't turn out. This is not a sales pitch for communism. I'm trying to make a point here about evangelism. And this is a really important point when you think about North Korea. So we went to war in South Vietnam and, well, and North Vietnam and Laos and Cambodia illegally. We went to war to stop communism. It was a proxy war with the Soviet Union, arguably, and China. China, you know, Mao had taken over China with communism and, and the Soviet Union had a slightly different kind of communism. And, and neither one of them were really the kind of communism that Karl Marx was pitching, but whatever. They were evangelical, and they were trying to spread their communism around the world. It had come to Cuba. We were freaked out about that. There were countries in Central and South America that were flirting with the idea of, of maybe not communism, but something halfway there. And so because it was evangelical, we viewed the Soviet Union and, and, and uh, they had the greatest power. China was just a third world country uh, for all practical purposes. But we viewed these communist countries, North Vietnam, for example, as actual threats because they could evangelize Americans. They could convince Julius and Ethel Rosenberg. And yes, I know there's still a debate about whether they were even guilty, but they could convince Americans to say, you know, America should become like the Soviet Union. And I'm going to work toward that, that, that kind of thing. You know, they, they, because it was evangelical, the fear in the United States was that they would evangelize our people. Similarly, the fear of the Soviet Union, because they saw capitalism as a, as a corrupt system that produces poverty and suffering and people don't have access to health care and people are homeless and their lives get wiped out and there's no guaranteed jobs and no guaranteed health care and no guaranteed education. 
all that kind of all that kind of stuff that that was all there and free in the communist countries. The communists viewed us as a threat. And we were evangelical, right? We've got Freedom House and we've got all these other right wing organizations that are these neoconservative organizations funded in many cases by the government, by our own government, plus our State Department outreaches. And so they viewed us as evangelical and therefore as a threat. I would argue that that the whole the biggest danger with regard to uh, Wahhabism slash um, uh, what Donald Trump would refer to as radical Islamic terrorism um, is its evangelical nature. The fact that it's evangelized, reaching around the world and trying to convert people to its way of thinking and its way of life. And similarly, they would argue, and in fact, I would even argue that at a, at a certain level and for slightly different reasons, that certain types of toxic fundamentalist Christianity, the, the types that, that want to control women's bodies, the types that want to to refuse to offer service to gay people, the, the, the types that, that use Christianity to justify racism and sexism and misogyny, um, because they're evangelical, that they're toxic and dangerous. So put just consider that frame for a minute, that it's the evangelism of a particular society. See, I have no problem with a society saying, we have the best way of life on earth for us, right? Whether, because this was, I mean, you go back and you read Peter Farb, you know, in first contact with Native Americans back in the late 1600s, in the mid-1600s in the United States. And every community he came across, their word for human or person or man was, the, was considered the name of their language. In other words, you know, I am, I am Apache, that, because Apache is human, right? Or, or whatever the word you know, may be. And I may be wrong about Apache, but generally speaking, that was the case. And, and so... As long as we say, this is my way and I like it for me, that's fine. But when we start to say, this is my way, I like it for me, it's the best way, it's the only way, you should have this way, and if you don't have this way, I'm going to bomb you, which is what we did with Vietnam, right? It's what we've done around the world for years and years. It's what we've done in, in less violent ways, but arguably just as destructive. It's what we do with Chile. It's what we do with Argentina. It's what we do with Central America during the Reagan administration. We have done it over and over and over again. So in this kind of thought cloud that I just shared with you of all the different dimensions, whether they're political slash economic, communism versus capitalism, or whether they're religious you know, evangelical Christianity, evangelical Islam, or, you know, the, the more toxic versions of evangelical Christianity and Islam. Those are the things that can make a country dangerous. You'll recall the German belt buckles during the World War II, Hitler's army, their belt, belt buckles said, Gott mit uns, God with us. And they believed it, or the soldiers did, you know, I'm fighting for God, right? The Crusades, we're fighting for God. So, Put all that in, in like one little cloud here and, and set it off to the side. And now consider North Korea. How does North Korea represent a threat to us? They don't have a philosophy that they're trying to sell to us. It's a, it's a kingdom with a king, basically. I mean, it's a feudal society. The, the Kim family basically owns the country and owns all the people, just like feudal, you know, Feudal serfs were owned by the feudal lords. He's not trying to export it, not trying to sell it to anybody. He's not trying to convert, you know, other than the possibility of merging with South Korea, which is kind of an amorphous thing. 
But basically, it's not evangelical. He's not trying to expand his territory. You'll, you'll recall Germans, you know, Hitler's first thing was we need more living room, more breathing room, more room for good Germans. And so he, he took the Sudetenland, the, you know, the, the, the part of northern Czechoslovakia, as I recall. And, and then, you know, in, in 39 invaded Poland and then we were off to the races. But it was all about expanding greater Germany. We did the same thing. Uh, President Polk did it in the 1840s. Abraham Lincoln railed against the Mexican-American War. We did the same thing in the 18 in the late 1890s, 1889, I think it was, that William Randolph Hearst said to Frederick Remington, who was down in Cuba, you know, the USS Maine blew up, right, and said, if you can get me the photos, I'll get you the war. And we got the Spanish-American War as a result of that, um, be, you know, because, hey, you know, we're, we're trying to expand our sphere of influence. Well, I don't see North Korea doing that. So it seems to me that they don't, frankly, represent a threat to us. They don't represent an ideological threat, a philosophical threat, an economic threat, a religious threat. They, they you know, but with nuclear weapons, they could do a lot of damage if we attack them. It appears to me that everything they're trying to do is defensive. And I don't know why we're not having this conversation in our media. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you, and it is uh, coming up on about nine minutes before the hour. Todd in Minneapolis. Hey, Todd, what's on your mind today? Yeah, how you doing, Tom? Um, yeah, I was just uh, calling because I, I, was, I was dealing with you were talking about the evangelical nature of, you know, communism, capitalism, Christianity, and so forth. Uh, for me, it's, it's a very fascinating thing. Um, you know, I was thinking to myself, a lot of it, has to do with, you know, human nature and ego. Um, people who are motivated mm -hmm. by fear, who fear things they don't understand, and so therefore they have to try and enforce it on other people. I mean, myself personally, yep. I have no problem with any of those things, provided nobody is trying to force them on me. But I think, you know, right. we have certain people that are, of, uh, you know, an egotistical mindset. And a lot of them, unfortunately, are very charismatic and can draw followers to them. And so they're able to uh, stir up a lot of trouble in in a sense, you know, yeah. with the wars and all that kind of thing. Yep. I mean, it could be about... I agree. Power. And I think, you know, it's... it's the it's, it's the one thing about the, the libertarian philosophy that used to be, I mean, it's not unique to libertarianism or anything like that. And I don't, and I hate praising libertarians because I think by and large they're crazy. But the one idea is it's not the role of any one country to go around telling other countries how to be. And it's certainly not the role of the United States to be running the world. And, um, you know, I, I, I think that's a pretty important concept and, and one that we should be, you know, seriously paying attention to. And, and, you know, it's rejecting that evangelism. It's a, so that in the political sphere, I see that. In the religious sphere, it's one of the reasons I have so much respect for Judaism. It's really hard to become a Jew if you're not born a Jew. And, you know, you've got to jump through all kinds of hoops. You've got to prove you really want to do it. It's not like they're out there saying, come to our mega church and give us your money. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's instead, hey, we take this stuff seriously. And, and, and we're not trying to turn the world into us. And I would love to see the rest of the religions of the world start adopting those kind of philosophies, but I'm not holding my breath. Um, but anyhow, excellent point, Todd. Thank you very much for the call. Well said. 
Pauline in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Hey, Pauline, what's on your mind? Yes, hello? Hi, Pauline. Hello? Yeah, hi, you, you need to just start talking. There's a slight delay between us because I'm, oh, I'm doing okay. this show remotely from the other oh, side of the country. My apologies. What I'm calling about is I have a question. Have the United Nations countries been providing us the United States bodies to fight the two wars in Iraq and Afghanistan for 16 years. Uh, I, used to, I used to hear in the past where, you know, so many men died in Iraq and so many in Afghanistan, and they were from all these uh, third world countries, and they were helping us out. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, do, I don't think it's the UN. I think it was NATO that pulled this stuff together, but I, I may well be wrong. I, I, we had a NATO coalition, as I recall, for, uh, for the first Gulf War. Um, the second Gulf War, I'm not sure if there were none, how many non-NATO countries were involved. But you're right. Yeah, there's, there's a bunch of countries who, who we've successfully suckered into joining us in these stupid wars in the Middle East. The ones making war, and they're the ones providing bodies to die, and then we're complaining about how much money they're sucking out of the United States. So um, I think Trump yeah. is, uh, needs to... Um, do some reading and investigate history and, you know, politics and reality. Because, uh, well, yeah. you know, Pauline, I completely agree with you. I, I, I think you've nailed it. However, that's not going to happen. I mean, it's just not his temperament. I, I think that, you know, we need to be seriously thinking about, um, you know, the 25th Amendment or impeachment because uh, Donald Trump is, is too unstable, in my opinion, to be president. McWain in Chino Valley, Arizona. Hey, McWain, we have about a minute and a half uh, to the break. What's up? Yeah, Tom, I, I was just wondering, if you know, does it seem to you that this latest fraudulent trumped-up health care plan of the Republican cult is but another step at the behest of their privileged ruling class, their masters and owners, is but a, 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 an attempt to create a Rohingya class of peoples in this country, you know, the impoverished, who, by virtue of not being able to afford health care, will, will be, you know, subject to the ultimate cleansing, uh, death. Hmm. It's, it's the latest iteration of what we have been doing since um, the, the early 1600s when we first started importing slaves into this country. Um, which is the Rohingya thing. You're absolutely right. The Rohingya are the, are the people in Burma. Burma is a predominantly Buddhist country. The Rohingya are uh, a couple of million largely tribal people who uh, adhere to a, a non, relatively nonviolent form of Islam, although uh, some of them have taken to fighting back, which has then produced this huge backlash. But, but to take it back to the United States, um, denying people the right to vote. The Rohingya can't vote in, in Burma. Denying people access to public services, uh, health care, other public utilities. That's been happening in Burma forever. Uh, that's what we've been doing with people of color in this country for, for forever, um, basically. And, yeah, I, I, I would say this is part of the ongoing third-worldization of the United States. It's not good for us. It's not good for our people. That's a, that's, McWayne, that's a really great um, uh metaphor analogy. I'm not sure which would be the right description. Welcome back. You know, every time you think that the Republicans have hit a new low, they, 
they surprised. They, they, well, I guess it's not a surprise, but they pull another one out, right? Um, Lindsey Graham and Bill Cassidy running around doing the TV circuits. I, I haven't seen Dean Heller or Ron Johnson talking much about this, although uh, you know Cassidy is always constantly throwing their names in as if that adds credibility to what they're doing. Uh, Dean Heller and Ron Johnson, of course, both up for re-election, uh, I believe, this next year. I know Dean Heller is. I'm pretty sure Ron Johnson is. And uh, the sales pitch that they are now giving to other Republicans, and we have this from multiple sources. There's a, a great piece over at Think Progress by Judd, Judd Legume, and, uh, but there's others, you know, and there's a, there's a in fact, the, the headline, let me get to the front page of the Washington Post here. This is, this is just the, the headlines, right? You just go to WashingtonPost.com and the top story. Red states would benefit disproportionately in latest GOP health care plan. Cassidy-Graham bill would cut funding to 34 states, new report shows. Analysis, under GOP plan, health care spending would drop in all but 16 states. 15 of those 16 states voted for Trump. In other words, um, they're selling this. Now, you know, let me tell you in advance, they're lying and I'll lay that out in just a second. But they're selling this as to their Republican colleagues as, hey, you know, let's screw the Democratic states. Let's just like, you know, let's do everything we can to just ruin these states. Let's hurt them and help the red states. Now keep in mind, the blue states are already subsidizing the red states, hugely. I mean, you got red states that are taking $1.30 you know, for every dollar that they send to, the, to, to D.C., whereas you've got blue states that are getting back 70 cents for every dollar they send. So, you know, California, Massachusetts, Mich uh, excuse me, uh, New York, uh, they're already subsidizing, you know, uh, with the exception of Texas, virtually all the red states. Texas kind of breaking even, you know, but they've got that booming uh, oil economy down there near Houston, although it's been put on hold, I think, for, by the hurricane. We'll see where that goes. But. So uh, Lindsey Graham uh, just came right out and said, uh, this, um, this, this is from Jed, Judd Legium's piece in, in Think Progress, speaking at the U.S. Capitol on Tuesday, Senator Lindsey Graham, Republican South Carolina, discussed his bill to repeal Obamacare, which is quickly gaining momentum. In his remarks, Graham admitted that his strategy was largely based on redistributing large sums of money from large Democratic-led states like California, New York, Massachusetts, and Maryland, two states that are more Republican. Now, anytime you mention raising taxes on rich people, the Republicans all start screaming, oh my God, wealth redistribution, you're going to redistribute money, that's not the role of government people, people should keep their own money, make their own money, it's just, they go on and on and on, right? And now they want to redistribute our health care dollars from the states that adopted Obamacare, put, in, put things into place, are doing things right. They want to take the money away from those states and throw, you know, throw it to the red states. Well, here's where, you know, I, remember I told you he's lying? Uh, you know, most Republican lies have a germ of truth at their core, and then they embellish them or they change them so that the, the apparent meaning becomes quite substantially different. This is from, a, for a, from an analysis by the Center for Budget and Policy Priorities, and uh, they found that under the Graham-Cassidy bill, this, this latest Obama repeal, 
Obamacare repeal, which is really fundamentally no different than the, than the ones before it, except that this one expires at the end of 10 years. At the end of 10 years, under this legislation, Medicaid, now think about this. If you're a low-income worker and you're getting Medicaid, if you're disabled and you're getting Medicaid, if your parents are in or going into a nursing home and it's being paid for by Medicaid, under this Republican bill, 10 years from now, Medicaid ends. Now, they can choose to reallocate re money for it, but the funding goes to zero at the end of 10 years. This is insanely sneaky, what they're doing. And, and it's blowing my mind that the, that the, uh, the TV-talking heads who are interviewing these Republicans are not asking them that question. Because this is not a secret. You can read this in the Washington Post or the New York Times. I mean, it's literally, it's, it's right there. But most people don't read the Washington Post or the New York Times. Most people, you know, most people don't even follow the news. More people follow sports in the United States than follow news. So, but, but it turns out that it's, it's not just going to hurt the states that Lindsey Graham this morning was bragging to his Republican colleagues, hey, we're going to stick it to California. I mean, literally not those words, but words to that effect, that he was bragging about this morning to his Republican colleagues. It's not just going to hurt the, the four big Republicans or Democratic states, blue states, you know, California, New York, uh, Massachusetts, and Maryland. It's also going to hurt, get this, uh, Alaska is going to lose a quarter billion dollars. Louisiana is going to lose $3 billion. Bill Cassidy's from Louisiana. His own bill is going to hurt his own state to the tune of $3 billion. Montana is going to lose a half a billion dollars. North Dakota is going to lose a quarter billion dollars. It goes on and on. I mean, it's, and, 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 and not only that, under this new bill, if, you know, I mentioned this yesterday, but it, it really deserves repeating. Under this new legislation, if you get sick, if you get cancer, if you get metastasized cancer, your health insurance company under this new legislation is authorized to not only charge you the basic ten dollars or $12,000 a year that you're paying for your policy right now, but to add a $140,000 a year surcharge to that bill. Sweet, huh? These Republicans really know what's best for America. Well, actually, they know what's best for the health insurance mobsters, you know, the, 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 the guys who run the health insurance companies, the, the banksters. They know what's best for big pharma because the, because the banksters who run the health insurance companies are feeding money to them. And the, and, and the, the, the greed heads who run the big pharma companies are feeding money to them. And, and, you know, and the banks are in the midst of all this. I mean, the banks are loving this, right? If you get wiped out, if you get sick, and, and, and you know, even if it's just, you know, ten dollars or $20,000 in co-pays, what do most people do with that? You know, more than half of Americans have no savings whatsoever. What do most people do when they get sick? Even if it's just for the copay, they put it on their credit card. Well, once it's on the credit card, the banks are making 15, 20, 25, some, some cases, 29%. Banks are loving this. And when people get hit with, you know, million-dollar expenses, the banks love that even more because now you got to refinance, you got to remortgage your home, or you've got to get somebody, you know, uh, you know, a relative who has a house who's willing to put it. The banks are even making money on this. So there's this, this whole predatory industry in the United States built around for-profit health insurance and health, uh, you know, that just doesn't, literally does not exist in any other country. 
And the Republicans are absolutely committed to keeping that predatory system in place because it doesn't prey on them. You know, there's there. I don't think there's a single Republican in the United States Senate who's not a multimillionaire. And there's probably very few Republicans in the House of Representatives who are not at least millionaires. They don't care. Right. Plus, they've got the government paying for their insurance. And they have pensions, actually. There's, you know, they, they, you know, Reagan took pensions away from the rest of us, but not from the Senate and the House. And so they don't give a rat's ass. And, and, and even if they leave office, as long as they do exactly what Big Pharma wants and what the health insurance companies want, yeah, they're, they're going to have a million-dollar job waiting for them when they leave. End up like Howard Dean, you know, being a consultant to a, to a, a Wall Street lobbying firm. Right. I shouldn't pick on Howard. The, you know, it's, he's, he's a Democrat. The Republicans are, are particularly big on this, but this is a bipartisan problem that we need to solve legislatively. Anyhow, we'll pick up your calls. After. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Did you know that the NTSA says that 94% of car crashes are tied to human error and 60% of accidents are due to lane departure and lack of advanced warnings? That's because only about 40% of people apply their brakes in car crashes and have, enough, because, and have enough advanced warning. Now there's an affordable anti-collision system that can be added to vehicles years 2000 or newer. It's the RD-140 by Safe Drive Systems. The RD-140 is a front-end collision radar and lane d- departure system that works at night and in all weather conditions. It prevents up to 90% of potential injury-causing or fatal car accidents. It's like having an extra set of eyes in, in hard-to-navigate conditions and when drivers are distracted. It alerts the driver with an audio and visual signal when they're too close to the vehicle in front or when deviating from their lane. It gives up to five extra seconds of reaction time and is great for seniors and teens. Go to safedrivesystems.com to find out how to add the RD140 to your car. Use the code TOM to receive free installation by a professional technician at your home or office. It's currently available in a limited number of states, so go to safedrivesystems.com and use the code THOM for free installation. Go to safedrivesystems.com today. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. I'm live from Portland. In our D.C. studio is Charles Sauer, libertarian economist and president of the Market Institute, marketinstitute.org. And you can tweet him at Charles Sauer. It's S-A-U-E-R is how he spells his last name. Charles, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Charles? Thanks for having me. Great to have you with us. So the Republic, you're welcome. So the Republicans are all kind of twisted up in knots right now, trying to figure out what they're actually up to with regard to how to how to repeal Obamacare, et cetera. And um, I, it seems to me like this is the the absolute biggest hole in the whole libertarian philosophy. Is you know the, the, the you know the essence of it being essentially I got mine, screw you. And and um, there's how how in, and, and I know we've talked about this before, but I, I don't think I've ever achieved any clarity at all in, in terms of understanding your worldview in how in a country as diverse as the United States, where you've got people, you know, from from, you know, dirt, dirt poor. You've got people who are not capable of taking care of themselves, whether they're handicapped or mentally handicapped, young children. Um, you've got older, elderly people. I mean, we've got this huge spectrum of people. We've got you know cities, rural, rich, poor, all this kind of stuff. And and yet, as a matter of national security, 
If we don't have a national health care system, we are vulnerable to a bioweapon. As a matter of, of national productivity, if, if, if people don't have access to health care and they still have to work and they're sick and they're sneezing all over your salad, you know, we're, we're, we're losing. And we do every year lose literally billions of dollars of productivity to people, you know, being unnecessarily sick. Um, uh, it, it, because they were sickened by workers around them who couldn't afford to take a day off or whatever. Um, how, which I guess is kind of wandering into a slightly different topic, but but how, I, and I realize, that, you know, given the caveat, there's never been a successful libertarian country or state or even city anywhere, so we don't have an example for this. But how in your, in your um, uh, uh, Ayn Rand mind there, Charles, how would you provide health insurance or health care. Uh, forget about insurance. How would you provide health care to every American? Well, fortunately, uh, you know, what I'm looking for is affordable, equitable health care, something, a, a way to increase the quality, access, and lower the price to health care. And this is something where I, I actually find it usually appalling where the left is on health care. And that's this this top down fascist approach where they believe that the the bureaucrat on top knows how everybody needs health care, where they're going to do it. And that's the way to give health care to the healthy and not actually address the needs of the sick. So what I'm for is providing care uh, to the sick. So where we have is we actually have functioning markets in the U.S. We have a uh, a surgery center in Oklahoma. They've list prices that is a cash price. Their cash price is about 20% of what it costs at the nonprofit hospital down the street. And that's what people are actually paying to the hospital and what they're actually paying um, to the surgery center in Oklahoma. But it's not just the prices there because we can actually see competition working in this market because we also have surgery centers in Florida, in Virginia, in California, and uh, moving also into Colorado and a few other states. And the difference in the prices in these cash places are within an airplane ticket of each other. And that's because there actually is competition in healthcare. And this is the, the libertarian approach is to free it up. We have a family doctor in Texas who charges um, cash prices. She gives discounts to patients that wear in spurs. Um, and you can't do that if you're working on a government uh, for a government program like Medicare or Medicaid, but she treats day laborers and billionaires. She's uh, uh, amazing. Juliet Madrigal Dursh down in, in uh, outside of Austin, Texas. Um, but the libertarian approach is to let the free market work, to give people money or let them keep their own money and, and shop for healthcare. And that's why the Graham Cassidy bill is great because it takes the money outside of DC. It stops this federal bureaucrat and it gives it back to the states. It's not the perfect libertarian approach, but it starts increasing the ability for people to have choices by at least starting by letting the states have choices on how to provide health care. OK, I'm not going to get all reactive about your calling single payer fascistic when the definition of fascism is the merger of is, is basically the the acquisition of government power by corporations. So it's the opposite of that. But. Um, in any case, you never answered my question, Charles. How how are you going to provide health care to uh, you know a, a homeless person on the street in San Antonio? How are you going to provide health care to you know a mother of two in in Akron, Ohio, who's who's working you know uh, a minimum wage job and literally you know has to 
uh, maybe one day a week, only eat half, half the food that she would normally eat because she can't afford it. How are you going to do that? I mean, you're not going to do that by saying, hey, you can, you can shop prices at surgery centers. This, 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 this you know, answer by anecdote is, is nonsense. Let's talk systemically. How what are you do you talking about? Whoa, 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 whoa. To every I, American. I have, this, I have the actual non-anecdotal story. You made up a story about a, uh, a homeless person on the street. The fact is, is I gave you a real price. The Oklahoma Surgery Center of Oklahoma charges 20% of what the, what the nonprofit hospital charges. I don't use the antidotes here. I have real numbers, and so that's you're the saying deal. All we there, have on your are, side are, are the people. anecdotes. Charles, there are homeless people all over the United States. So you're saying that the homeless person needs to go to that surgery center and should be delighted that that the surgery to to you know cut away the MRSA on their leg or whatever uh, is only going to cost them twenty two thousand dollars instead of twenty nine thousand dollars. Is that what you're saying? Actually, what I'm saying is that the government programs that you're advocating for have already proven to fail. And while those government programs are proving themselves to fail, what is coming up and propping up and helping those homeless people that you're talking about are free markets and charities. That is what is helping those people. But the government programs, look, we have, again, non-anecdotal. We have research that came out of the only randomized study in Medicaid that showed that it didn't increase or improve the health of the people that got it. That is non-anecdotal. Coming up with stories and, and uh, trying to bring a a figure into this that is going to imply sympathy, that's anecdotal. So uh, setting aside all the, all the words here, um, what I heard you say is that the way that you're going to provide health care to people in the United States who right now can't afford to buy health insurance from homeless people to low-income people is that they should depend on charity. I'm saying that the government programs that are on top are already making it unaffordable. The only way to make it unaffordable are to use like a concierge medicine. I'm not medicine. asking There's... you for a critique. I'm asking you for a solution. Yeah, the solution is happening in the U.S. as we speak because the government programs have created this problem. We have Atlas MD in Kansas. They're charging $50 a month for unlimited visits to your doctor. We have uh, different versions of that in Florida where you have unlimited access to your doctors for something that's a reasonable price. What happens when your doctor price. finds a lump? What happens when your doctor says, hey, look at this. We got a stage one cancer here. Uh, it's only going to cost you $70,000 to have the, you know, the surgery and the radiation. Well, the $70,000 is what it costs when you have Medicare not paying doctors, when you have hospitals that are not treating oh, the patient they say it's, as It's only going to cost you $40,000 because we're super competitive. Again, where I started with was 20%, all right? So if you work back from your 70,000, what are we talking about, 15,000? If you find a lump, it should be worth 15,000. And there's charities for the people that can't afford that 15,000. But what is bankrupting the system is the fact that right now, charities hospitals in the are charging 70,000. Charities in the United States last year provided about $5 billion worth of all types of services. We're, that, that's that's how much we spend on healthcare in the United States in a, in, a, in three days. I mean, well, anyway, Charles uh, Charles Sauer uh, MarketInstitute.org is the website. You can tweet him at Charles Sauer S A U E R. Charles, thanks. Great talking with you. Thank you. Welcome back, Tom Hartman here with you. And uh, a couple of other things here I wanted to run through, and then we'll get to picking up your phone calls here. 
Um, I mentioned at the very beginning of the program, back two and a half hours ago, that uh, there was, excuse me, that we were talking about, uh, you know, President, uh, about Donald Trump's uh, speech to the United Nations and uh, my specific complaints about it. I, you know, I, I, and, and I, I need not repeat those, I think. But apparently, I wasn't the only one who was, who was concerned. And this should, I don't know, it's, it, 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 this, I feel embarrassed for my country. I don't know how to say it other than that. And, I, and, and, I, and I'd be surprised if most Americans don't, at least if they, if they bother to inform themselves. Um, this is from McClatchy, the McClatchy News Service. It's, you know, a, a nonpartisan, well-respected news service and, you know, good information. And uh, the headline kind of says the whole thing. The article is by Frank, Franco uh, uh, Ordonez. And the, uh, the headline, World Leaders Skip Out on Trump to Avoid Embarrassment. Vladimir Putin, Xi Jinping, the, the presidents of China, of Russia and China, respectively, along with Germany's Angela Merkel, Venezuela's Nicolas, Nicolas Maduro, and Mexico's Enrique Peña Nieto, all chose not to go to Donald Trump's speech. And turns out, uh, you know, they, they suggest that, uh, you know, one U.S. official in contact with the diplomatic community said, even meetings that should be a good meeting can veer off in bizarre directions. Um, you know, in other words, they're, they're scared to death that Donald Trump is just going to go nuts on them. And, you know, frankly, I think that that's probably a fairly legitimate concern. So anyway, there's, there is that, um, there's a a couple of other things that are, that are going on that I think are, are pretty consequential. And one of them is this whole, the Republican party now has come up with their very own News service, believe it or not. And, uh, you know, I, this is like as strange as it gets that they've got, they've got their, their, you know, a new, a new Republican health care, uh, uh, whatever you call it. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty amazing, really, when you think about it, that the, the Republican Party would say, yeah, yeah, sure, let's, let's, Let's create our own uh, our own uh, network, and I mean this this goes back to you know Roger Ailes was in the Nixon White House and he put together this proposal for what they called GOP TV, right, uh, Republican Party uh, Television, and uh, it's uh, Nixon wouldn't fund the thing. You know, he they tried to get Nixon to to come up with the money for it, but Nixon wouldn't fund it. But now the Republican Governors Association is funding, and and uh, you know, as of up until just like yesterday, I think it was, they they didn't even you know identify it as anything other than a news source. Like they're trying to get uh, you know uh, Google and Apple and whatnot to carry their stories, but their stories are all about how wonderful Republicans are. And, you know, they talk about how, oh, you know, there was a hurricane in Florida uh, or in Texas, rather. And look at what uh, Greg Abbott did. Isn't it wonderful? But when there's a hurricane in Louisiana, uh, you know, where you've got a Democratic governor, it's like, uh, oh, well, you know, we're not even going to literally discuss that. It is pure Republican propaganda, but it is not identified as that. And that's that's a pretty astonishing thing. That that they're they're pulling this thing off, and and that they're they were not revealing, you know, where the source of it was, and all this all this kind of thing. Um, it 
it is, you know, it is exactly now what, what Roger Ailes had originally proposed you know, back in the day was that the was that the program be um, his GOP TV program that every day they record a little five minute uh, newscast, a pseudo newscast at the White House. And then they get them on airplanes. This was even before FedEx. You know, this was this was in the 60s, late 60s, early 70s. Um, and they get they put them on airplanes and fly them to radio stations all over the or television stations all over the country so that they can be used. And that was fairly expensive. I mean, they didn't have the technology we have today. And so Nixon couldn't sign off on it. So Ailes had this idea and he eventually took it to to uh, to Rupert Murdoch, apparently. Um, and uh, Fox News came out of that. And we know now that Fox News even makes decisions based on ideology over profit, uh, which is you know, pretty bizarre for a, for a commercial network. But, you know, that's what's going on. But this, this, new, this new network from the Republican Governors Association, this is as weird as it gets. And uh, it's going to be real interesting to see, you know, Facebook, Google, Twitter, you know, this, this, this thing with, and now they're going after, of course, RT and Sputnik. Um, but, you know, are they also going to go after the Republican Governors Association? Hey, if you're doing news, presented it new, as news. If you're not, at least disclose where it's coming from, you know, what, or what the funding is or whatever. This is, this is just uh, so very strange. And, you know, surprising, not surprisingly, there's no Democratic equivalent of it. I, and that, that's actually a pretty good question is, you know, I, I'm sure if the Democrats did it, they would be at least a little more transparent. They wouldn't try to pretend that, you know, hey, this is the news. Instead, they'd say this is the Democrats' news, right? And the Republicans may be shamed into that. But would that be a good idea for the Democrats? Yeah. It might be. Coming up tomorrow, we'll have the latest news and information from Wall Street and Main Street, all points in between, plus the best of the rest of the news. And don't forget, democracy begins with you. Get out there, show up, participate, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.